0: Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. I'm convinced more than ever that you can only have one of two things, hierarchy or anarchy. And in corporate America recently, you know, we're starting to hear about this idea of flattening the organization. To those unfamiliar, this is the idea that rather than a top-down organization, everyone runs on a more egalitarian basis of management. And in theory, this sounds really good. But the more I learn about how the best organizations are run, the more in love I am with hierarchy. And so just give me a few minutes to explain why, and I'm gonna show you that there is a reason an organization, including the angels in heaven, run better with hierarchy. And here's the definition of hierarchy. It's a system or or an organization in which people or groups are ranked one above the other according to status or authority. And so that leads us to something else that I've really been chewing on lately, and that is opportunity equals obligation. I'm I'm really convinced of this lately. The, The opportunities you have lead to obligations you have to do something for other people. You know, the blessings you have in life equate directly to the debt you owe to others to help them as much as you feel you have been blessed. And of course, you know, this is if you're living by heaven's one rule, the only law in heaven. Romans chapter 14 and verse seven says, none liveth to himself. And we learned that was the law in paradise throughout all eternity past. No one lives selfishly ever. See, today we live in this world much like the one the disciples of Jesus lived in. Dog eat dog, climb the corporate ladder, even if it means stepping on the heads and hearts of other people. It's selfishness at its core, and it's putting ourselves above everyone and everything. We become our own gods. I'm convinced this is the apex of the evolutionary story. And the disciples, as we look at them, they wanted to be number one and to rule over others. But Jesus, he keeps trying to make this point that the paradigm for greatness must shift. Like in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Wait, what? That that doesn't even make sense. Or, Or John 15, 13, no greater love has a man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And then you jump over to James in chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, this Jesus was radical, and he had this opportunity to be king of the world, yet he goes as a sheep to the slaughter. Clearly, this style of leadership would be laughed at today, or would it? Look, let's be honest, we all do all we can to get to the top of the structure, top of the class, top of the team, top of the pay scale, top of the organization. Yet Jesus repeatedly shows if you wanna be first, you need to intentionally humble yourself, serve someone else, have that spirit of leadership like Moses that says, if you can't save my people, then don't save me because we're in this together. It's this concept that helps me see why this statement I heard years ago won't leave me. I I can't get it out of my mind. I love it more every single day, and it says this, religion and business are not two separate things, they are one. That's from the book, Christ's Object Lessons. So for a long time, I loved that quote because I loved business, but lately I've had a whole new perspective on those words. You know what it's like going to work each week? You know, if you work, or have worked or will work, allow me to let you in on a little secret. Most people don't like, well, I probably should say it like this, most people hate their boss. Why in the world is this? Is it because many bosses live by the survival of, of the fittest mantra, and you know that principle of selfishness? They act like they work so hard, therefore they have the right to treat people a certain way. You know, these types of leaders, of organizations often don't trust people. They don't delegate to people. They micromanage people, and guess what? Their team, their employees feel all of this, and a team without a sincere servant leader will in turn create an organization of selfish, unkind leaders. And I'm looking for examples where this isn't true, so if you can think of one, I'll wait. All right, well, we don't want to wait forever. See, this idea keeps coming back to me that there is something divine about trusting, delegating, serving, that if leaders did it, the organization at every level would follow. Why? Because if you've ever been a part of this you know experientially, if you ever see this personally, how a leader does this, they have faith that they can't control everything, therefore, other people are gonna to have to do what they do and just trust that it's gonna happen. If they're a biblically-minded person, they're gonna have faith that God is, is in the equation. And as we study about the government of heaven, we begin to learn some very interesting things. And one of those is the amount of order and trust and delegation that exists within the organization. The executive committee, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they work in this sphere, yet they delegate to the archangel or archangels who work hard, but they don't do all the work. They delegate to the commanders and the generals and the principalities, and these angels do their job. And the system goes on and on through the organization. And guess what? Heaven was this orderly picture before sin and selfishness came on the scene. Hierarchy was natural, hierarchy was divine, but it goes deeper than that. Imagine you're the number three in heaven. You have the Godhead, these three beings, they are at the top. Then we know there was Lucifer, he's number two. Then you're number three. Now imagine that for thousands of years, you had the privilege to serve under Lucifer, the nicest angel, the most kind, the most talented. He was the most helpful being you can imagine. And now imagine that you loved it. You never said, I wish I was number two. You know, if I was number two, I'd change things around here. I'd do things differently. No, you never said that. Because, and and hear me clearly, if that spirit enters one level of an organization, but especially near the top, it trickles down and eventually there was war in heaven and there will be war in your organization. Mr. Number Two, the OG number two Lucifer, stopped the chain of service and decided he deserved to be, as Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 describe, like the most high. And then he wasn't satisfied with just flattening the organization. No, he wanted to be higher than the most high. You know, we go on in the story. Israel, they lose sight of the value of hierarchy. And this was when they served God because their leaders, well, they weren't leading. So they just couldn't see. And Samuel, he's too late on the scene to represent the style of leadership that would translate to the whole kingdom And so what does Israel do? They went to him and they said, hey, we want to be like the nations around us. We want a king. And though this seemed somewhat like hierarchy still, the problem with corrupt hierarchy is if the leader isn't selfless, then selfishness will just make its way down the organizational structure and ultimately Israel loses its way. Fast forward a little bit more. Jesus teaches us, more about this genuine, godly idea of hierarchy. And so if you turn with me to Matthew chapter eight, and this is the story about the centurion. You know, Jesus returns to Capernaum and there's this Roman officer who comes and pleads with him. And in verse six, it describes it like this. Lord, my young servant lies in a bed. They're paralyzed and they're in terrible pain. And then Jesus says, well, I'll come and I'll heal him. And then the the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because, and then listen to this, I am under authority of my superior officers. I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say, do this, they do it. And then we're told when Jesus hears this, He's shocked, he's amazed. And he turns to those who are following him, and he says, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen such faith like this in all of Israel. But then it's what Jesus says next that should sound like this big announcement. Hey, hey everybody, listen up, Newsflash: there's gonna be some shocked people when we get to the pearly gates. Because in verse 11, he says, I tell you this, many Gentiles will come from all over the world from east and west, and they're gonna sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But then he says these, these haunting words, but many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus says to the Roman officer, go back home because you believed it has happened. And then we're told that young servant, had been healed that very same hour. hour. You know, I I found something very strange working with people who profess the faith of Jesus. If you know what I'm talking about, hear me very clearly. Often there seems to be some sort of entitlement. Often there is a lack of trust, and I rarely, if ever, see the type of faith that the centurion was commended by Jesus for having. Look at those words, translate them into our moment today, to your workplace, to your organization, to your family, say the word. It sounds so simple, yet it's so loaded. Being under authority, having authority, it's this beautiful thing to serve under someone while others serve under you and for everything to feel unselfish. If we go forward a little bit more in scripture, Luke chapter nine has this other example of a style of leadership and hierarchy that Jesus practiced. And one day it goes like this, one day Jesus calls his 12 disciples together. He gives them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God as his representatives in this organization called the kingdom of heaven. In other words, His 12 direct reports, 12 individuals who reported to him, he trusted so much, and he just met these guys not too much earlier. He trusted them so much to represent the organization, the kingdom of heaven, that he sends them out as these young, green, inexperienced salesmen, marketers. He empowers them and delegates to them. He trusts them with power. And now they cast out demons and heal all diseases. And guess who one of these is? the selfish, greedy Judas. You know, think about these examples of Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and the centurion, such beautiful examples of leadership, hierarchy, empowerment, trust, and delegation. Why then is it so hard for us to live this way? Why are we so defiant? Why do we disrespect this idea of hierarchy so much? Think about it, if heaven is built on hierarchy and the angels love to work under someone and over someone, then then what's the secret? I I think when you find this style of leadership, even at the top of an organization, or honestly, especially at the top of an an organization, that's selfish, that that if it's not practiced, this style of servant leadership, instead of this dictatorial distrust, This lack of empowerment, selfishness becomes the norm. It infuses an organization with cancer. And I'm convinced there is no remedy. But if the leader sees that even he or she is under authority, the authority of the greatest leader the world has ever known, the leader who today has the majority of individuals on earth professing to revere Jesus, If a leader of an organization believes they are under the authority of Jesus, the most humble, unselfish leader the world has ever known, if they truly follow Jesus, they will demonstrate it. They will act as though they are under his authority, which means they will serve, they will be unselfish, and in turn, those who serve under this leader will carry this same spirit. This attitude will go through an organization and into all the world. It seems so easy, but something stands in the way of that happening. You know, it's said that when word broke out in heaven that the law had been broken by Lucifer, the very thought, the idea that there was a law, came to the angels almost as an overwhelming surprise. Think about that for one second. This law of love, the law that says none lives to himself, no one lives selfishly, heaven's law. It was so natural, so habitual, that the angels didn't understand it was the only way to live and that without it, war would break out. So imagine if your place you work, your school, your organization was run on this principle. What if at each level of the hierarchy in your organization, each individual lived as though under authority, even that person at the top, and with people under authority? I think this is a divine concept. And unless heaven has a revolving door, this could mean that angels once in their position in the organization stay there forever and are as happy as can be. You know, if you've ever served under a leader who has even shown glimpses of this type of leadership, you can see its value. You can see how contagious this attitude gets, this spirit of unselfishness, how it spreads through the entire organization where you'd almost think the organization had been flipped upside down and the president works for everybody else. And of course, we can see the results of selfishness really quickly. We see it in most companies. You know, Jesus tells the centurion who made it clear, just say the word. Jesus says, I haven't seen such faith like this in all of my people. So my question for us is, do we have that kind of faith in God that when someone in authority over us asks something of us, do we show the same faith Or do we murmur, complain, and think of all the reasons this person is unfit to lead? That's tempting. You know, this spirit is what kept Israel out of the promised land, this murmuring, complaining. And I'm convinced it's a cancer in the remnant church. I'm convinced there is something divine about living up to the privilege in believing that when you have authority, you are obligated to use it as Jesus would. And imagine if every power structure, every relationship practiced this. What would be the impact? You know, think about the intimate relationship of an employer or owner and an employee. The worker says, I will work hard, I'll show up on time. And the owner or employer says, and I will pay you this. I think this is a sacred agreement that too often is destroyed by some of us thinking we are entitled to more money, more honor, more authority, when we haven't fulfilled our duty to work under authority. And I think it's the reason that we lack faith, that God really takes care of us. I think that's at the core of this. If we believe that he really loved us and cared for us, we would trust that he has us where we are for a reason and usually for a season. And if we fulfill our duty without murmuring or complaining, God will hear us and be near us. So wherever you're at at this moment in life, if you trust Him and ultimately His authority in your life and you live by the law of kindness and unselfishness, He will direct your path. He'll have you where you are for as long as He needs you there. And then if we trust in Him, He will guide our steps. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.